0: Yesterday, the uh, Muslim militia Boko Haram in Nigeria, who's responsible for killing literally thousands upon thousands of Christians, kidnapping hundreds of people. In fact, if you look up Boko Haram on YouTube videos or Google, often you're asked if you're 18 or older to look at some of the carnage. In fact, there's a picture that was taken from satellite about a month ago of a village a Christian village having several thousand people in Boko Haram came through with military type military uh, i guess we could say equipped hardware wise vehicles and uh, killed the people and burned the village and one looks like an area where people lived the first satellite image and then the second looks like uh, the lunar landscape and yesterday uh, they made it clear to the world they said quote we announce our allegiance to the caliph, we call upon Muslims everywhere to pledge allegiance to the caliph, and that is uh, the head of ISIS or ISIL, some people will say, Abu Bakr uh, um, al-Baghdadi, and so here's the thing, we see this in the news, Uh, first off, let's talk about what is ISIS, ISIS stands for the Islamic State of Iraq and Al-Sham, which is a word an Arabic word for Syria. So it's the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. They like to refer to themselves as ISIL, the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. The Levant comprises the territories of, we could call most of the Middle East. That would be Cyprus, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, Turkey, Egypt, and yes, Israel so what you see on our screens is the five-year plan of ISIS and if you note there uh, Spain is Andalus for several hundred years as we'll look at this morning for hundreds of years uh, Spain was dominated by the Muslims so they consider that as a part of the Islamic world it's just inhabited and run by infidels at this point So as we go forward in this message, I want to make one thing very, very, very clear. That what we know from God's Word is the one thing that will make a difference in false political ideologies, false religious ideologies, is a change of heart. A change of heart in the Muslim world will be the thing that will change it. The Gospel of Jesus Christ, only a change of heart will change the course of militant Islam. And as we go into this, I think it's good for us as Christians not to glorify ignorance. In American culture, it's not very popular to say, my name is and let me show you all of what I know. Is it? But it doesn't glorify God at all, and it doesn't help us, and it doesn't help the persecuted church, For our world to revolve around our small group of friends and just our community, just in the state of Virginia, Virginia, just in the USA. In fact, I would say ignorance of the world that God has placed us in to be a difference does not bring glory to God, but we should be ashamed of not investigating the world in which we live in so that we can know how to pray how to give and how to speak to it all right so we're going to just get into it uh, this morning information on understanding the world from a biblical perspective there are 1.57 billion muslims which is 23 percent around of the world's population it's the world's second largest religion and islam as we well know is a major influencer in world politics today, not even counting the oil reserves in Saudi Arabia. And what you also see on the screens is just a picture of the global distribution of Muslims. You, know, you notice that there are almost one billion Muslims, not in the Middle East, but in Asia, Many of us who've grown up watching Chuck Norris movies or or whether you watch the liberal news networks or the conservative news networks, we think that Islam is just an Arab religion and nothing could be further from the truth. One of the reasons why Islam has been able to flourish in the Western world is because secularism has eroded basically everything that the Western world has always believed. For example, uh, now in the USA, we get a secular education. Not because many local teachers want to give it, but because it's mandated from the top. In many schools today, you no longer even uh, do the Pledge of Allegiance. Think about that for a minute. In any country you're in around the world, most of the time, unless you're in Germany because they have so much baggage from World War II, people say, you know what, I'm living in Belgium and I'm glad to be a part of this place. I live in France, I'm glad to be French. I live in Russia, we've got issues, but I'm proud to be uh, a Russian. But in the U.S., many schools no longer even pledge allegiance to the flag. So what you have, secularism or liberalism or progressivism has, we could say, eroded the Christian foundation, the understanding that The Bible should connect with civil common law to provide a groundwork for society. So that is eroding quickly in the U.S. And when you have that eroding and your culture's built on that, what also follows is patriotism. Well, the California State University just this past week has banned the American flag from uh, an, an inclusivist area on their community. In other words, everything allowed but that. So here's what you have in the Western world. And by that we mean Western Europe and the United States and Canada. You have a giant vacuum to where the morals that most people usually pointed to, to say this is how you should live and this is the point of life, are quickly eroding So then you have a gap of purpose for life. What you have in many churches is pastors no longer believe the Bible, so they don't teach the Bible, and the people don't know what the Bible is, so they no longer tell their friends and family about Jesus, so less and less people are being saved compared to years ago in the U.S. So in other words, what secularism has done is it's opened an opportunity for there to be, I guess we could say, interest in these other ideas as even possibly being true. ISIS's influence and radical Islam is not limited to the Near East. It's not limited to the Middle East. In fact, with YouTube, you can be any person of any age, as long as you can get on a library computer, you can be influenced by this ideology. So it's not an issue of going to Beirut back in the 1980s, sending a special ops team. Now the world is one of ideas to where you can no longer just use military options. We've got to understand the gospel as Christians and be able to explain the gospel. So, many Americans' exposure to Islam is just through TV. Uh, And if that's your only exposure, then you're probably jaded. Let's uh, take a look at a picture here. Um, This is one of my friends uh, from uh, Central Asia. He is a confessional Muslim, and he actually stayed in my home. It was a a student apartment, and uh, when I was in Texas, he's my friend. We were emailing even, even a couple of weeks ago. All right, let's look at the next one. This is another couple of my friends. The, the young man on the right um, comes from a somewhat uh, Christianized background because his mother married into a family that way. But the one on the left is from uh, a Central Asian nation that ends in Stan, and not many people there are followers of Christ. We were able to work with these guys for a couple of weeks on a trip that we took to Central Asia several years, which, by the way, the doors have pretty much closed in the former Soviet Union so that you can no longer openly declare Jesus as we once did even in 2006-2007. When I lived in uh, South Carolina, I was able to go to the local mosque and uh, interview the imam, and it was a very, 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 I think, healthy experience and uh, if you'd like to treat me to cookout and Krispy Kreme donuts, I will tell you all about it. <laughs> but I, I, I use these to say that I'm not um, the world's expert in Islam, but I have, through God's grace, been able to study and study the Quran along with the Bible and talk with real-life Muslims—not what politicians tell us that they believe, but talk with people who actually claim to hold those beliefs. So as we go into understanding Islam, there's a statement that one of my professors made, and it's this. He said, failing to understand the Islamic world is to misunderstand the 21st century. So as followers of Christ, we want to understand our world. So here's a a question that's more of a come on because it's all over social media. Do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? Well, before we answer that question, we need to see that there are some points of agreement between Muslims and Christians. Muslims and Christians both agree that idolatry is wrong. Muslims and Christians both, at least historically, uh, believe that gambling is a vice... They both believe that abortion is wrong, homosexuality is wrong. The Christian response is that we love the homosexuals. We want to win them to Jesus Christ. The Muslim response to how you deal with homosexuals is a little bit more uh, hands-on. They also believe that there is a day called Judgment Day in which God will judge the world. But here's the question. What do Muslims actually believe about God? Well, something that will help us is to know that Muslims do not believe that Jesus was actually crucified. In the Quran, chapter 4, that would be surah, and the verse uh, would be ayat, but we'll just say chapter and verse. Chapter 4, verse 157. And for they're saying, indeed, we have killed the Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. And they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him, but another was made to resemble him to them, the reason why uh, Muslims do not believe that Jesus was actually crucified is because not because there 's some document from the first century that says that, but in the system of Islam there 's no place for humility there 's no place of what Jesus did was, which was to lay him himself down as a sacrifice. Not only did Muslims not believe that Jesus was crucified, but they do not believe in the Trinity. Quran chapter 4 and 1 verse 171 says the Messiah Jesus the son of Mary was but a messenger of Allah chapter 19 verse 92 and it is not appropriate for the most merciful that he should take a son we don't have time to get into the details today but much of what Muhammad taught was a misunderstanding of Christianity to begin with And so he said, obviously, God cannot be a three-headed sort of God, but that's not what Christians believe to begin with. Muslims do not believe that Jesus was crucified. They don't believe in the Trinity, and they would also reject what we would understand as the deity of Christ. In uh, chapter 5, verse 17, verse, verse 73 in the Quran, it says, they have certainly disbelieved who say Allah is the third of three, and there is no God except one God. And in chapter five, verse seventy-three, that's the one that we that we listed on the, on the screen. So Muhammad, what happened is he misunderstood Christianity. He thought that it was a sort of idolatry. So he thought that he would create a new religion that he believed would restore faith in the one true God. <clears throat> So here's the question, is Islam a religion of peace? And before we get into that in detail, I think it's very helpful when you're talking to Muslims, do not say as your first line of defense of the gospel that you worship a pagan god. How did Jesus address the woman at the well? He said, basically, you're trying to worship the one true God, but you're doing it wrongly. And if you do not worship the one true God as He has revealed Himself, it is not true worship. The Bible has revealed that Jesus is the one Messiah. He is the Son of God. So worshiping God the Father must be done as God has revealed Himself through Jesus. Meaning that if Jesus is not placed in the top priority to say He's not just a prophet, but He is the Messiah, then worship is not legitimate. So we should handle them with grace and care as Jesus did the woman at the well. Now here's the biggest question I think in politics today is, is Islam a religion of peace? Caleb Gregson writes, a better question to ask is whether or not there is a legitimate place for violence within Islamic tradition. The answer is yes. The primary means of determining this right right in Islam is power. According to Islamic thinking, if you are in power and succeeding, then God is clearly blessing and supporting you. If you are not, then God has chosen not to bless you. And if you know about the beginnings of Islam, it was a blood feud from the very beginning. So the history of Islam brings up one topic that confuses many people, and it's the topic of jihad. Muslim scholars will tell you that it can mean several things or all of the above. Number one, it can mean the struggle against your lower desires, meaning resisting temptation, trying to become a better person. Number two, the physical way that you defend against enemies of Islam, which many Islamic scholars say that's what, what we would call insurgents are doing in Iraq and Afghanistan. Number three, it would be to spread the message of Islam through Sharia. Sharia would be the Quran's law is the civil law. Whatever it says is what we do. Now our political leaders from Bush to Clinton to Tony Blair to Obama all tell us unmistakably that Islam is unquestionably a religion of peace. But let's actually uh, bypass what the politicians tell us to say. And let me just say this as well. Everything from when uh, people like Brad Pitt try to weigh in on social issues to when presidents try to speak to religious issues, regardless of the office, regardless of the influence, regardless of how much money they have, we need to ask how much of that have you actually studied? Let that sink in. No matter who they are, we need to say, how much have you actually studied of that, and where can you show me in those documents to support your view? So the question would be, in answering this question, why would someone in any time commit violence in the name of religion? Well, as far as Islam goes, Muhammad's teaching could be understood, and we're being very, very generous this morning as promoting violence, but even if you were confused through reading the Quran, what would Jesus do? For a Muslim, you do what Muhammad did. And his behavior was very, very violent. In fact, after one skirmish, he made the statement in one of the Hadiths, which would be like the commentary to the Bible of the early church fathers for us. He said, quote, If God gives me victory over the Quaish, which was a... An Arab tribe, he was fighting in the future. I will mutilate 30 of their men by God. If God gives us victory over them in the future, we will mutilate them as no Arab has ever mutilated anyone. Now, it would be hard to see Jesus saying anything like that. So let's compare what Jesus said compared to Muhammad. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, You have heard it has been said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your, help me out, enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Whereas Muhammad said in the Quran, chapter 47, verses 3 and 4, When you meet the infidels, strike off their heads, till so ye have made a great slaughter among them. And of the rest, make fast the fetters, or chains. In other words, kill them, and then the survivors, you enslave them. Jesus said in Matthew, chapter 5, verse 44, as we just read, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Muhammad said... In the Quran, chapter 8, verse 60. Against them make your strength to the utmost of your power, including steeds of war. Meaning, get your war horses ready. To strike what? Into the hearts of the enemies of Allah and your enemies and others besides whom you may know, not know, but whom Allah doth know. Jesus said in John chapter 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Muhammad said in the Quran chapter 9 verses 111, Allah hath purchased of the believers for their persons and their goods for theirs in return is the garden of paradise, heaven, They fight in his cause and slay, meaning they kill, and are slain. They are killed. A promise binding on him in truth. So already it's easy to see a connection if you want to be a faithful Muslim and gain paradise. These are some things that would get the wheels spinning. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26 verse 52, All who live by the sword perish by the sword. Whereas Muhammad said in the Quran chapter 9 verses 5 and 6, kill those who join other gods with God wherever you may find them and seize them, besiege them and lay wait for them with every kind of ambush. And if they shall convert and observe prayer and pay the obligatory alms, then let them go their way. For God is gracious and merciful. So the lie that politicians, uh, purport continuously in order to save face and not lose votes, Democrats and Republicans, is that there is no way that Islam could ever be construed as coercing in religion. Yes, uh, it can and it has been. In chapter 9 in the Quran, verses 123, Muhammad states, Believers wage war against such of the infidels as are your neighbors. And let them find you rigorous. And know that God is with those who fear him. At this point, it's helpful to know that many Muslims despise violence and they want there to be peace. But listen carefully. That is because they do not fully obey the Quran. Let me say that again. Many of the Muslims that I have met have been great people. But their disdain and their refusal to do what the Quran says is the reason why they're peaceful people. Let's flip that. There are many professing Christians who do not love peace and are not peaceful people because they disobey the words of Jesus. You see the difference? Not because they obey them. Then one of our local mosques has this on the website as point number two in their statement of beliefs. We love the companions of the messenger of Allah and we hate those who speak against them. We believe that to speak ill of them is to speak ill of their religion because they are the ones who conveyed it to us. And we love the family of the prophet with love that is permitted by the Sharia, meaning a Muslim-ruled, Quran-ruled society. Jesus said to love your enemies. Even a popular mosque today says that according to the Quran, we hate those who speak against Islam. There's also a statement in the statement of beliefs that say we reject the spiritual interpretation of the Quran. What that means is that we believe in physical jihad. You say, well, Jeff, what did Muhammad actually do other than being a fantastic guerrilla fighter? Well, after he died, there was a blood feud that arose between two factions. There was the majority called the Sunni or the Sunnah and the minority that would be called the Shia or the Shiites. And there was a blood feud from the beginning. And most of the Muslim world is Sunni. And you have parts of uh, Iraq and uh, Iran that are primarily Shiite. So from the very beginning, there was a blood feud. From the very beginning of Jesus' we could say founding of Christianity, there was blood that was shed, but it was the blood of the ones that he sent into the world who gave their lives so that people could hear their message. With Muhammad, his followers went into the world and waged war. For example, uh, we know from history That Muslim armies repeatedly attempted to conquer Europe under the leadership of, and we've heard this word all through the news recently, of a caliph or a caliphate. And and something to help us understand, when the Muslims talk about a, a caliph, it would be like a pope, but yet Islamic. It would be the commander of all Muslims worldwide, which pretty much was destroyed after Turkey lost with the Germans in World War I. But here's a map to kind of show us uh, how far Islam had dominated. You notice it had dominated most areas of Asia Minor, the Middle East, uh, all of the Arabian Peninsula, all of North Africa, and even well into Spain. And this was all by 751 A.D., not long after Muhammad uh, had died. We know that the uh, Muslim armies laid siege to Constantinople in 668 AD and 717 AD. And then finally, in 1453, this is modern-day Istanbul, Turkey. The armies of Islam had come for hundreds of years and finally they took over Constantinople. Now, historically speaking, Constantinople was the Rome of the East. It was the eastern capital of we could call uh, medieval Roman Catholic Christianity. Over 3,200 churches were destroyed in the first 100 years of Islam. Even the historian Will Durant, who wrote The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, said the Mohammedan or the Islamic conquest of India is probably the bloodiest in history. When you study the Quran, you'll see reservations are made for two types of people. They are people of the book, which would be Jews and Muslims, maybe some Zoroastrians as well. But if you are an idol worshiper, you are not allowed to live in that Islamic society at all. Meaning that if, we, if somehow the U.S. were to fall and a caliphate were established here, if you said, I'm a Christian, if they're going strictly by the Quran, they should allow you to live in that Islamic area, but you have to pay what's called a jizya, which is a religious penalty tax to be a non-Muslim in a Muslim land. And in many cases in history, that was around 29% of your income. So you could, quote-unquote, not be compulsed to become a Muslim, but it would cost you, uh, literally, and not just figuratively. Outside of the Western media bias that tells us that jihad against infidels is only practiced by a small minority of Muslims in the Middle East... Uh, A better understanding of the world as we know it knows that that jihad is actually woven into the fabric of many Islamic cultures. The pictures you're seeing on a screen are from one of my friends uh, from seminary who went on a trip to a certain part of Africa several years ago. And she's there with the American team and all of these riders coming out on horses with these swords with these uh, steel uh, bats and uh Spears and so forth coming and doing a, a sort of, of chant dance before the local leader. And then after everything was finished, the, the translator said, do you know what they were saying? And she said, uh, no, we don't we don't speak this language so tell us. And she said, all of those tribesmen who came said that we of the such and such tribe declare our loyalty to you, local leader, sheik. And we vow to kill all non-Muslims. So once again. When you look at the Quran, it is easy to see how some people could get from that. I'm supposed to wage war. I can do the acts of violence in the name of Allah. But even more so, if you're trying to read the pages of the Quran, you say, what should I do? Let me look at Muhammad. You can easily see from his example that it's not only okay, but if you want to follow in his example, it's obligatory to become a fighter to some degree. Whereas if you look at the pages of the New Testament, you see Jesus... Uh, giving his life when he could have taken the lives of everyone there. So then the question becomes to say, now, Jeff, uh, well, this is, would be coming from the president at the National Prayer Breakfast. Uh, he used the um, the instance of ISIS burning the Jordanian pilot alive and other atrocities to remind, quote-unquote, Christians of the abuses of the Crusades in the Middle Ages. And let me say, before we address this, that... Uh, Christians are never called upon to wage war in the name of Christ. Got it? Let me give you a verse. John chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would fight to keep me from being handed over. Killing people in the name of God is not something that you get from the teachings of Jesus. But historically speaking, to understand why those things transpired, we have to remember that most of the formerly Christian lands, uh, the Middle East, North Africa, and Spain, to where people had converted out of their own free will, hey, they had been forcibly killed or forcibly converted to Islam. So for over 400 years, you had the armies of Muhammad slamming upon the gates of Eastern Europe, Slamming against the walls of Europe, and so it was more along the lines of a defensive war that was fought to keep invaders out regardless of their religion. And this is not to say what the Crusaders did. Um, They would say you can kill them all because God knows his own, which gives rise to a statement that we sometimes say here in the U.S., kill them all, let God sort them out. That is not Christian. That is not something that conforms to a just war theory. So we are not defending any excess that the crusaders committed. We are not saying that we should be crusaders taking up arms in the name of Christ. But historically speaking, it was a defensive war. And if that doesn't get the hornet's nest going, I don't know what will. But I encourage you, do your research on it. Don't take what the media simply gives you. So here's one of the questions that has been arising uh, ever since last summer with the rise of ISIS or ISIL. ISIS desires to unite the Muslim world under a reestablished caliphate. No one contests that fact. That's the desire. So the question is, is ISIS Islamic? Absolutely. In the same way that many, quote-unquote, we could say, moderate Muslims today, they eschew, they push away, they do not want to be involved in violence, in the same way many Christians do with the Bible to where Jesus says, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So you don't fully obey. Just like me, we many times don't fully obey the calls and the call of Christ to lay down our lives. So here's the question for us. How should we respond? Well, number one, we need to remember that Jesus warned us that there would be not only wars, but there would be rumors of wars. So Jesus says, while you've got wars going on, there's wars starting in the background. And he says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6, he says, For this must take place, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be families and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pangs. So this protected bubble that we have, called the United States of America, is not normal in history. And we should praise God every day that we have the freedoms we should use our freedoms for the glory of God. So we need to remember, remember that Jesus said, this is going to be, it's going to come. Whether it's through Marxist guerrillas in South America, whether it's through Islamic militias in Africa, whether it's a communist uh, nuclear armed China in China, wars and rumors of wars will be what categorize life on planet Earth. But secondly, let's remember what Jesus tells us. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Jesus says, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And if worse were to come to worse in our lives or our children's lifetimes, the worst that any enemy can do is kill us. Let it sink in. For a Christian, this is not all that there is. But we know, like the Apostle Paul says, to live as Christ... But to die is gain. And if we don't have that perspective, then we need to come back to the Bible and ask God to change our heart and change our mind. But I I strongly believe this next point, that we as followers of Christ need to accept the just use of force in order to stem the tide of evil and bring evildoers to justice. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 4, the Bible says, for he, speaking of legitimate government, for he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the evildoer. Revelation chapter 6 verse 10, these are believers in heaven with God who have been killed for the cause of Christ here on earth. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long will you Before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. See, Russell Moore says this. He says, the main problem is that we sometimes forget we are called to be a people of both justice and justification. These two are not contradictory. Do you remember the thief on the cross? The thief on the cross, when he turned in faith to Christ, he didn't say that what I did was not deserving of a capital crime, but he said, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into paradise? So we as followers of Christ should not turn away from the just application of force that delivers men and women and children from being slaughtered. In fact, the book of Proverbs chapter 24 tells us, hold back those who are going to slaughter. So for those of you that God has chosen a role of protector, I always say there's the sheep, there's the wolves, and there's the sheep dogs. And God has called you to be a sheep dog. You do that. You do it with wisdom, and you do it with justice, and you do it with strength. And then finally, we need to pray that Muslims would become disillusioned with Islam and seek the truth. For some of us, we hear things like this, and we can become angry. We can become protective. We can become reactionary to where we begin to 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 post things online. They don't glorify God or reach out to Muslims. But listen, through the glory of God, for the glory of God, let our hearts be changed. Amen? Amen? To not just see these people in need of judgment, although there is a place for that. But we would pray that God would save them and change their hearts. Because the Bible tells me that when we are in heaven, there's going to be people from every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. It means you're going to have high rollers in Manhattan. You're going to have rednecks. You're going to have former Muslims, former, <laughs> former uh, Buddhists. You're going to have the whole mix. Because God says, I'm not just the God of the Western Europeans or the South America. I'm the God of all. And I'm going to save some from each group. I'm going As many would come to me, I'm going to give them salvation. So the Christian response is that we would begin to pray today. We would begin to pray today that God would give those believers who are in those places, they can't get to a consulate because they have nowhere to go, that God would give them the power of the Holy Spirit to stand strong. And even for those that God chooses in His sovereignty to allow them to suffer a martyr's death, that the hand that holds the knife, the hand that wields the sword, would see something in those believers that they've never seen. Like the 21 Christians who were killed in Egypt, the brother said, of one of the martyrs, he said, we will sing. We will not react in selfish revenge, but we will take glory in that. That what they did, the perpetrators of this violence, as they allowed these people to go to be with Jesus, you see. So let us begin to have our hearts changed. Red-blooded Americans Let's begin to pray that God would change the Muslim world. Let's ask God to even use us, however he may choose. And that we would pray that people would be changed. And they would see the violence and they would see the hatred. And they would see, even within Islam, the killing of Muslim upon Muslim violence. And they would say, there's got to be something better than this. I know that something's wrong in my heart. The the, the, the image of God, as we as Christians know, it cries out when we do things and see things that are wrong. That's why some of us, we say, I can't watch it anymore. I I can't look. It's because we've been made in the image of God and we are not wired to see violence. We're not wired to see horrible things and be totally okay with that. And listen, we don't need to be afraid of Muslims here or overseas. We need to share the gospel with them. On one of those trips to uh, Central Asia, there was one of the, the interpreters, and uh, he knew the he knew the gospel. He had had the gospel shared with them, but he says, "No, no, no." One of the other translators, who was another ethnic person from that area, she was she was a fireball. She said, "Why do you not repent?" In America, we're like, "Dude, chill down!" In there, that's the way they, they see that the emotions should be tied together with what you believe. Here we have casual conversations at Starbucks, but okay, I hear what you're saying. So when you talk to a Muslim and they may, may get into what they're saying, that's because they really believe that if you believe that, it needs to take over the, all of your being. This young man, it was the Lord led upon me the night that we were supposed to fly back to the U.S. to write him a letter. So I just wrote a letter. I'm not a big letter writer. And I just expressed as much I could. The change that Christ had made in me. The change that Christ could make in him. And know that when he goes back to be with his family in the country that ends in Stan. And if he becomes a follower of Jesus. Say, I don't understand what it could be like. But I'll be praying for you that God would give you strength. That if you follow Jesus Christ. That you'll be able to handle being disowned by your family. Because that's what would happen. Got an email a few months later. By one of the other translators. And they said the young man's name. And they said, he's come to Jesus Christ. And he's asking the Lord wisdom on how to explain that to his family. Was able to go back a a year later and serve with him again. And he said, thank you for writing that letter. That's not glory to Jeff. That's God using what could possibly be an awkward, uncomfortable thing for his glory. Let's begin to pray for these people and never underestimate what God can do through something small.